So, Tegan, where are we? We are currently in a recording booth, and I can hear my blood. Yeah, we are using all of the campus resources at our disposal. Because you know what? If I'm paying tuition, we are. I'm going to use. We're going to use their podcast room. Yeah. That's what it's called. <laughs> their podcast booth. This is definitely set up for musical recording. Yes. We're using GarageBand, <laughs> which will probably, like, it'll be fine. I wish they had Audacity, because then at least I'd know what I was doing. That's true. But it's a Mac. I think you got it. I mean, we'll see. I feel like you did it right. I was actually very surprised by how, like, you just sat down, you just started going. You were, like, opening up different, like, recording <laughs> things, and I was like, wow, looks like she's done this before. I Looks I, like a pro. My dad, he used to, he wouldn't just tell me what to do. He would make me, like learn work it out not like being dad but work it out like a normal amount and what then, is that like three times you've referenced being dad yeah on this podcast being dad lives in my head rent free so funny um every time we don't talk it's bad in my head I, it's like i'm like it's not it's almost it's almost quiet enough where i can like hear like the blood like pulsing see i can hear in my mine. ears yeah it's like pulsing in my ears like my voice sounds different to me you know how normally voices sound like the Mm -hmm. same when you're doing it but like the voice dead like the the sound waves they just deaden immediately so it's like a lot more like resonant yeah in my my head I don't know it's also 8 a.m yeah we are we're going hard today but you know what today is Wednesday yeah and this is supposed to be released tomorrow yeah we'll see is that doable i don't know we'll see okay i don't expect anything from you <laughs> to be clear anything ever no you could live in a ditch and i would be proud of you oh anyways <laughs> so uh so we watched the green knight yeah we did which was a great movie yeah i thought i keep on thinking about it that's cool my tumblr is filled with Dev Patel thirst posts. That's funny. I actually talked about my experience watching The Green Knight last night. Oh, cool. Like, for my class, everybody, you know, it's beginning of school. Introductions are going around. I've had a teacher ask, like, who would play you in a movie? I've had a teacher just ask, what are you, What do you want to do with your degree? And then, What if they asked, who would play you in a movie, and you said Dev Patel? That would not be received well, probably. No, Except no. there was this very white boy who said Lakeith Stanfield. Cool. And I didn't love that for him. Everybody was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But I was like, uh, This isn't funny. Yeah. It's wow. like, we're not there yet. And then there was a teacher who asked, um, last night the teacher asked, what was, like, the worst movie experience you've ever had? And I was like, uh, well, I haven't had any, like, really bad movie experiences because I just like movies. And even if it's a bad movie, I can normally find something good about it, which is, yeah. like, you know, sappy and cliche, but whatever. But then I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, a couple weeks ago, I saw The Green Knight in theaters, and the man next to me, like, 30 minutes into the movie, he turned his phone on, it felt like full brightness, and he was trying to hide it, but that meant he was directly shining it into my face personally. And he looked up The Green Knight on Wikipedia, and had that up, like, at, like, periodically throughout the entire film. Well, and then didn't he also get, like, an order of food in the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had popcorn come to him 20 minutes in, which I didn't mind so much. Well, it's I just minded like, because they delivered the popcorn in a bag. Yeah. Which was the loudest bag I've ever experienced. Yeah, if you're a movie theater, maybe don't serve your food in paper, paper bags. bags. Don't don't serve your bucket of popcorn in a paper bag. Well, did you know in movies when it looks like they're using paper bags, they're not. They're yeah, using bags made silent. out of, like, plastic. Yeah, because they make too much noise. It would mess with audio. But anyway, Green Knight. The Green Knight I thought was great. But it is one of those movies where I'm like, I want to tell everyone to watch it, but also be like, I need this not to be a reflection on me. Yeah, yeah, I want yeah. you to watch it independently. Mm-hmm. And when there is R-rated scenes, yeah. scene, perhaps? Scenes? Okay, I there view, are a lot of beheadings, Tegan. I view beheadings as neutral because I grew up <laughs> on the internet. I view... We're not going to address that. <laughs> the, the sexual stuff is more of the stuff which 
I feel like is more taboo. Like people, you know, yeah, are you and you and the MPAA, or excuse me, MPA Motion Picture Association would agree that sex is worse. That than sex violence. is worse than violence. <laughs> <laughs> they won't. They won't fess up to it, but we'll get into it. Is Green Knight R? Yes. Okay. Very. What What movie did you watch? <laughs> See, I. Also watch, There's like three I sex scenes watch, and like four beheadings. I don't know what is I happening. I watch Netflix and Netflix sometimes just goes hog for That's no true. reason. That's true. I mean, recently I was on the Criterion channel and they don't really buy into ratings because it's like all artsy and film yeah. stuff. And there was a Japanese noir section. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. So I like turn on one of them. I think it's called Branded to Kill. That's what I turned on. And because... It, it was, like, from, like, the 50s. So I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. And my roommate was in the no. room, and she was cooking, and there's there's a couple of guys who get shot in the head, and I was like, okay, well, that's not ideal, but, you know, maybe it gets better. And then there's, like, a character who's really turned on by the smell of rice, and so you could tell every time he was smelling rice that a sex scene was about to happen, and it happened twice in, like, 15 minutes. So I was like... Okay, and then I saw that my roommate was, like, looking, and I was like, okay, we're going to not watch this right now. Because Japan, I guess, didn't have the Hayes Code. They did not, which we'll get into. They just, they didn't have the same, like, standards, apparently. So, Becca, how do they decide what rating to put on movies? And what is a rating? And why do we care? Okay. That was three questions. Sorry, I got... I have legitimate questions. Yeah, I'm really excited to answer them. I am very excited to answer them. Let me see. Let's see. The rating system is determined by what America's parents think is okay. Like, the rating system um, that, like, American films so go So, George by. Washington? America's yeah. parents? America's parents. <laughs> to George Washington? They have a seance every time a movie comes out, and they <laughs> summon George Washington and ask his opinion. And normally George Washington, he's, like, pretty okay with the sexual stuff, but the parents still... The the parents... America's parents trump America's founding father. Got it. But, yeah, so... Referring to George Washington as America's parents is very funny. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, so the rating system, as it exists in America, is actually determined by, like, a group of parents. And then... Oh, really? Yes. And why does it matter? Because because that's stupid, Are they randomly chosen parents? We'll get into it. I'm sorry. So, Becca, how are movies rated? By a committee chosen by the Motion Picture Association. Can you be more specific? Yes. 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 Welcome to Be More Specific, where an entomologist, me, and a film student, me, walk into a podcast and walk out with a question answered. I'm Becca. And I'm Tegan. Well, this is, this is my jazz. Film history? Mm, delicious. Okay. But anyway, we're gonna go back, 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 back to the beginning of film. So not that far back. We've talked about further. The beginning of film, so the whole, like, train aiming at people thing not that far but okay so basically films were invented and like okay invention is another thing but films were like being widely shown in different exhibition houses by 1895 you go on the street shake a stranger and say what's a film and they would know what that means that might be a little later like maybe 1900 yeah i mean it takes it takes a few years to catch on but like moving pictures yeah like 1890s is basically when it started and In 1907, about 15 years after the first first films started being exhibited, Chicago became the first city to regulate and censor them. Oh, what was being produced that they were like, we got to censor this? Uh, most things. (laughs) Well, actually, like beginning film history, it was there was a lot of experimentation. Like there were naked people everywhere. They would film boxing matches and then exhibit them in places where like going to boxing matches wasn't allowed. So that was a way to like kind of get around the law. Yeah. But with over 115 Nickelodeons across the city of Chicago, and Nickelodeons are just movie exhibition houses, which it was very exciting to learn. Oh, and it's because seeing a movie cost a nickel, oh. and that's where the like the you know TV Children. channel yeah. Nickelodeon comes from. I just assumed that it was, like, founded by a guy named Nickelodeon. (laughs) 
but I've never heard that name. Like a guy named Nick who was like just super into like weird portmanteaus, and we just don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Chicago Tribune announced that the Nickelodeons had an influence that is wholly vicious, and censorship rules were then enacted. The city council gave the chief of police the power to issue. Or not issue permits for the exhibition of moving pictures. Permits? If a movie didn't meet his standards, a permit would be denied. So just like Jim decides. Yes. Just the chief of police, or he could delegate the role. Officer Jim. Yes. And surprisingly enough, the United States Supreme Court upheld Chicago's right to do this in like one of the first uh, trials that came to pass surrounding censorship. That's like so weird imagining like an art gallery. Yeah. And they, like, before the public is let in, they, like, lead a police officer around and they're like, so are you cool with this? Yeah. Well, there, Just as, like, a dude? Well, there are similar things that still occur. Yeah. I mean, in, in, like, China, pretty much everything is approved by the government. And in a lot of, a lot of countries, that's kind of the case. And even here, like, if... If it's if, too much, they can always shut it down. Yeah, that hasn't really happened, but if you're planning on including the United States military in, like, literally anything oh, yeah. in any capacity, then it has to be approved by the government. And, like, 97% of things that are that pass through there, like, 97% of the stuff they receive is vetoed, which okay. is why, like, military's practically always portrayed in a good light in American cinema. I wonder, how do people change it? Do they just say, oh, it's a different country? Yeah, stuff like that. Okay. So Marvel is all approved? Yeah. And that's why it's it's borderline propaganda? Yes. Okay. At times. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't get through unless it's propaganda, effectively. Yeah. Interesting. And so soon after the Chicago thing, in 1909, the mayor of New York City closed 550 theaters because the police chief claimed that most movie material was reprehensible. In response to this, the National Board of Censorship was formed as the first formal attempt by the film industry to ward off legal film censorship through quasi-self-regulation. Just some guy. Yeah. Some guy was like, this is too much. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we just, like, chose a person mm-hmm. and was like, you decide. The president. That's so weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, censorship was becoming an issue pretty quick, and in an attempt to, like, combat, like all of this power in literally one person's hand. And in order to stop, like, the government from being in charge of the film industry, Smart. the film industry decided to self-censor. And this is the American film industry. This is this is all the American. We can get into, like, foreign a little bit, but everybody has... Every country has their own, like, unique film history, which is, like, interesting to talk about. But, like, as it... As it stands, we're talking about American ratings. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's also, like... Probably more, like, political. Okay. Uh, Maybe not more, but it's very political. (laughs) And then in 1915, there was another, like, landmark decision that firmly established that censorship could be applied to film. Mutual Film Corporation was a newsreel company that was getting annoyed by the fees and slow turnaround time on what they could show and couldn't show. They insisted that the film should be protected under the First Amendment and should not be subjected to censorship, but... In Mutual v. Ohio Industrial Commission, the Chief Justice wrote, The exhibition of moving pictures is a business, pure and simple, originated and conducted for profit like other spectacles, and not to be regarded as part of the press of the country or as organs of public opinion within the meaning of freedom of speech and publication. Okay, so let's talk about how art should be protected. Yeah, that's so... Yeah, isn't that wild? Because it... Because it's, like, made to make... Everything is made to make money. Every, like, piece of art... News is made to make money. Exactly. Like, it's, no one's, it's a stupid decision. Yeah. But that's, that's like... I don't know. For the first, like, 30 to 40 years of film, it just wasn't really taken seriously as a creative endeavor mm-hmm. because it, it was it was a spectacle. It was, ma- it was to make money. And there were... There are certainly outliers, mm-hmm. but just, like, the common the common like view of the of films was very it wasn't super positive yeah well they were lowbrow right that yeah it was lowbrow media it was accessible to like the shakespeare of their time hmm like lowbrow oh yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah it was too know. populist it wasn't yeah. art it was just fodder was there were multiple supreme court decisions that decided that films were not protected by freedom of speech that is so and i've heard people use freedom of speech as an argument were filmed before 
Mm-hmm. So that's really... Yeah. Well, and also, like, does that mean... Does that mean that an influencer who is using their brand to make money is also not protected by freedom of speech because they're no longer an individual but a brand and you could argue that they're just making media? Yeah, I mean, under the... Under these rulings. Under the 1915 decision, probably, yeah. Cool. Has it been changed? Yes. We'll okay. get into it. Not to, not for spoilies or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, we're still at the beginning, you know? We have 100 years to go. <laughs> we'll go a little... We'll go quicker, but... So, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Hayes Code before. I've mentioned it before. So... With movies not being protected under the First Amendment, the industry kind of had to fend for itself to, like, protect it from, protect film from government censorship. Yeah. They were like, okay, fine, like, we are protected by freedom of speech, but, like, in order for you not to stop us, then we'll just gatekeep ourselves, basically. Got it. And that is when the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America was formed. So that was 1922. They hired former Postmaster General and head of the Republican National Committee, William Hayes, as the head. Oh, that hence the name. Yeah, his job was supposed to be to lobby in Washington on behalf of the film industry, but he also helped form a list of commonly rejected themes, subjects, or occurrences that he asked movie studios to heed, called the Don't and Be Careful list. Okay, wait. Is the, is the Hayes Code what they applied to comics? No, that's the Comics Code Authority. But okay. it was very it was a very, very similar, similar thing. Because they had a do and don't list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they my, probably followed suit after the Hayes Code because it was pretty successful. If we do an episode on the comics, which might be interesting, mm-hmm. I can interview my grandpa because he loved Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And then the Comics Code Authority came out and he couldn't read his favorite comics anymore. And he was like, they got boring. Like, yeah, he no, experienced the cha- like the shift in media, which is sometimes he, he talks about how his mom didn't know what was in his comics. And then suddenly they made a big stink and little boys couldn't read what they wanted to anymore. It's really funny. <laughs> which arguments we made on either side. To be fair, that all it did was make it more. More, like, desirable. And more, like, insidious almost. Yeah, well, that is... Just, like, a question of when you are implementing, like, these rules, by and large... Like, the pushback for them is going to be even more aggressive than all yeah. it already was. Like, the media that comes out of the period might be even more, like, explicit than yeah. before because people are just trying to prove a point. Well, and that's what art is, right? Subvert- subversion? Yes. Sometimes. I mean, depends who you ask. Yeah, that's true. Sir Guy Eisenstein thinks that art is born of conflict in every way. Is this art? Is this art? Should we be, co- should we be punching each other? I think that the <laughs> conflict... I, I don't know. The you, conflict is that our podcast is not successful. Kind of, yeah. And we're still doing it. <laughs> Amazing. That Yeah, that is Even though you're an argument. how many credit hours? Not that many. How many? 15.5. That's not that many. How many is full-time? I was I like at 12, but I was talking... <laughs> okay, I'm not going to say this is the entire reason I'm taking 15.5. It is not. But I was just talking to like this girl in my at, at work, and I was like, oh, I'm taking a lot of credits. And she was like, how many are you taking? And I was like, 15 and a half. And she was like, I'm taking 17 and a half. And I was like, okay. Anyway. <laughs> What's her major? Philosophy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that explains it, right? I don't know that films, film classes are harder than philosophy Imagine, classes. Imagine, that's the thing. The credit system is already kind of shaky. Yeah. Imagine... 15.5 credits of biology. Oh, courses. yeah, that would be worse. It's so, like, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's yeah. dust. Everything is dust. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, it's possible oh. that there are easy biology classes that don't count as three credits, that shouldn't be three credits. I don't know. <laughs> I have yet to experience one. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? The whole, like, one-upping thing that happens in college fills me with rage. Mm. I'll be like, oh, this class is really hard, and people are like, Oh, well, I took the higher level version of it. And I'm like, interesting. Anyway, this class is really hard for me. (laughs) Yeah, for me. That's the operative. It's like, that's the thing. I frequently feel the need to add, like, in my opinion to things. Where it's like, obviously, it's my opinion. I'm the one saying it. (laughs) That's an alternative title to this. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a disclaimer. Like, I did a a lot of research in this. And this is actually my specialty. I mean, as it stands. But... I don't know. I could be wrong. That's fine. Feel free to fact check me. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, can we talk about some of the don'ts and be careful? Oh, you still owe me $5. 
I'm pretty sure I... Did I, you? I think I might have. I'll check. Uh, the, the Dear listener, the bet last week where Becca was like, no one's ever clicked on a link. Apparently all of our friends fastidiously check our sources. We shouldn't have nerd friends. No, it's it's dangerous, ain't it? It's dangerous. Thankfully, we haven't ever gotten, like, destroyed like we did on the Everest point. Oh my gosh, I can't. No. Okay, so let's talk about some of the don'ts and be carefuls. Okay, and we can, I'll take notes and we'll make sure that our podcast follows the Hayes Code. Sure. <laughs> okay, ready? So, don'ts included the illegal traffic of drugs. Okay, I won't do that. White slavery. Wait, white slavery? <laughs> yeah. Black slavery is fine. <laughs> Don't take that out of context. In the Hayes Code, it does not matter if you show black people as slaves. That is so, but white people as slaves is a no. Yeah. Okay, I knew it was going to be rough. Oh, and another, ridicule of the clergy. Just general. Don't, yeah, don't ridicule priests. Okay. So, I mean, I think we're good. But be careful in that good taste may be emphasized. That's that's another, that was like a, a thing that was always emphasized by Hayes. Good taste may be emphasized. What does that mean? So it's like you can show these things as long as you're, like, saying, like, but don't do that. As long as it's, like, a sexy white woman. Well, <laughs> as long as... So one of the be carefuls included methods of smuggling. But if you are, by, if you are like, condemning smuggling, mm-hmm. then it's fine. S- depending. Is this how you get all those moral flicks? Yes. Okay. Oh, and also be careful with the use of the American flag. And be careful with men and women in bed together. This is puritanical. Be very careful. Yes, and this was in place for a year, like decades. I'm so mad. Continue. Okay, in 1930, the MPPDA, which was like the Producers Association, set up the Motion Picture Production Code. M-P-P-C-A. Code. You don't have to remember. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. Motion Picture Production Code, which was the Hayes Code. So okay. f- it wasn't a code at first. Hayes was in power, and he was just saying to studios, like, hey, if you don't want to get, like, slapped by the government, don't don't and be careful. They were like, we need guidelines. And they were like, okay, here's some. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were, like, especially stringent. And it was all, yeah, it was unwritten rules everywhere. Yeah. And then the Hayes Code was actually established and it didn't really wield any power until it joined forces with, get it, the Legion of Decency, an organization created by the Catholic Church, dedicated to combat it, to combating objectionable material. The Legion of Decency. Yes. We are legion. And uh, <laughs> of parentheses, of decency. From that point forward, the producers association would only approve films that had the catholic church's seal of approval well yeah because you can't ridicule clergy oh my gosh our podcast doesn't pass the Hayes code because i'm currently ridiculing clergy (laughs) (laughs) and so the legion of decency would also assign ratings to approve films so this is like kind of one of the first like actual rating systems where they would watch a movie and then stamp it instead of just like generally say what isn't isn't allowed so, for instance, the original 1947 Miracle on 34th Street was given the dreaded B rating by the Catholic Legion due to the mother in the film being divorced. Wait, so, okay. The B rating announced that the Legion found it morally objectionable in part. So, A A is good. So, I don't think that they would assign, like, A ratings to good things. They would just show what is bad. They, they wouldn't say what's good. They would say what's bad. And that's kind of how it still works. That is isn't so it? interesting. It is. Okay, so wait, was a C just like morally reprehensible? Yeah, so B is morally objectionable in part. C was condemned by the Legion of Decency. There are, there's two genders. Morally reprehensible in part and then con- condemnation. <laughs> yep. Um, choose your path. And then they were later merged to become O for morally offensive. Ooh, so they were like, okay, in part is just as bad. Yeah. I would expect it to split the other way, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that it... No, I yeah. mean, pure, puritanical, you know? Right. Just, if it's bad, it's bad. If it's bad, it's bad. It's like, it's no... It's good, except all for... All sins are created equal. <laughs> um, it's good, except for the bad parts. Mm. So, after 1934, all films exhibited in the industry's theater chains needed production code administration approval, which was, you know... So, it's code. not necessarily the Catholic Legion... Wasn't necessarily blocking anyone, but it was limiting where they could be shown based on mm-hmm. 
based on what those theaters were. Yeah, well, there was also to. there was also an issue where studios owned most theaters. Okay. So, like, if the studios were being like barred for making certain things by the Hayes Code, then like, yeah, the things that they would show in theaters would reflect that. So by so like by 1940, Hayes estimated that 98 percent of films distributed in the United States carried the seal of approval. Interesting. 98%. That's a lie. That's most. More than most. Yeah. So, like, in the code implementation, it began with scripts and, like, continued through production. You could practically sneak nothing in. Wow. Yeah. That's so... I wonder everything now would be objectionable, right? Most... Th- like, I... Probably, if yeah. Any kind of relationship... That has any kind of sexual undertone. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there are some, like, family films, but I feel like even Disney sometimes has, like, double entendres that would be considered too far. Well, even, like, A Dog's Purpose Mm. has kind of intense scenes of, like, distress, Mm -hmm. which might be enough for them to be like, no. But, you know, The Hayes Code, it had, like, it had a line to kind of straddle where it's, like, conflict is necessary for films... Because, like, otherwise they're not entertaining. No. It, otherwise, it's literally just, like, a public service announcement. Which sounds like that's almost what the goal was. Yeah. Was for movies to be a commercial for, like, good, clean living. Yeah. And that's pretty much, like, how it was for a long time. And the way that they would just deal with inserting conflict is movies in movies, it was, like... uh so it's it was basically wrong could be shown provided that a film's conclusion had compensating moral values. So like basically if like the bad guy has to always be punished. I'm thinking there can be no like subtle bad guys practically. I'm thinking of all these movies where at the end it's very much like like the end of the first Star Wars where it's just so concretely like look Good is rewarded. Mm-hmm. Evil is punished. Like, it's so... Yeah, and Star Wars came out a fair bit later than all this stuff, but, like, but it, when it, that is what you have as, like, examples... Exactly. It's referencing those older films. Mm-hmm. And, like, Star Wars is very, very much, like... Well, that's just how... pra- Like, just classic hero's journey. Yeah. Like, everything kind of falls into place. And it's enjoyable to watch because of it. There are a lot of really enjoyable movies from this period, and directors... Well, westerns, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely most Westerns, most noirs, like most movies. And there are ways to insert nuance and there are ways to be visual interesting enough to be like ultimately like worthwhile and rewarding. But it was just creators were crippled by these by and large. What would because Westerns are now almost defined by their like morality. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how. And then it was... How they would be defined if there wasn't. Yeah. And it was the late 40s and 50s where there was a Hollywood antitrust case which declared it was illegal for studios to own the theaters as well. Because it's a monopoly. You yeah. Like, yeah. You're, con- you're controlling what people watch. And that's too close to the government. <laughs> for and the we, government's taste. Well, we want the government to do it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So... It, that pried the door open and it meant that exhi- exhibitors could pick and choose what movies they wanted to show. Which you would hope it would be an exhibitor as someone who just loves art, but it's not. Yeah, I, largely not. But sometimes people did want to see, like, the more, like, su- the more fringe. subversive fringe films. And there was a market for that. And that cult was... classics, even? Cult classics, even. And that market was allowed for even more when exhibitors could choose. Because they could yeah. listen to, like, what the market wanted um, instead of... What the government wanted. Yeah, or what, like, the Hayes administration wanted. Okay, so, sorry, I'm missing something. Studios cared what Hayes thought because... Why? Because it would limit... Because they had... Because under Hayes, the movie industry could self-censor instead of being censored by the government. They would prefer to be ruled by, like, by an... Internal code. By an internal code. By, like, an organization that was made up of people that they knew... Got it. So the threat was, if we don't censor ourselves, we will be censored. Yes, exactly. Okay. I was, I was like, yeah, it's weird. It's like, why are you doing this to yourselves? Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. And 
yeah, it's fascinating. And like now it seems kind of indiscernible to me, but yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. And so after the antitrust case that like gave a little more wig- wiggle room for different movies to be made, because like not every movie that was exhibited had to be approved by the like by the Hayes Code. Yeah. And then in 1952, the Supreme Court reversed their 1915 decision by saying that expression by means of motion pictures is included within the free speech and free press guarantee I wonder of the First if, Amendment. I wonder if filmmakers, like, cried. Like, I, that must have been emotional, right? That must have been so emotional. Truly. Especially if it's, like, your whole life and you've been, like, your hands have been tied. Mm-hmm. You can only tell stories in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. I make no claim to be an artist. I don't know. But I feel like emotions would be quite high. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I couldn't really imagine it, but... Well, even things as simple as, like, I don't know, growing up and suddenly being allowed to, like, go somewhere on your own is Mm -hmm. so freeing. To be an adult and be given something that, like, should have been your right all along. Mm Mm-hmm. And it definitely, like, lends credence to, like, the idea of film as an art form. Yeah. Like, you're being validated by the literal government. Yeah. Which shouldn't be as validating as it is, but, you know. It's it's Shakespeare now, as opposed to Shakespeare then. Right. (laughs) So there were also a series of films like Man with a Golden Arm, Baby Doll, and the British film Blow Up that openly defied the censorship rulings, yet were were still exhibited, and they did very well financially. So it it was proven that there were, like, that there was a... A market. There was a market. So now there was a financial incentive to make uh more subversive well, and you know like and the government less, less kosher films i don't know <laughs> the government likes film because of how much money and how many jobs it provides right mm-hmm. it's, it's huge it's massive yeah so since the repeal of the hayes code a lot has happened <laughs> so after the hayes code the next like after Hayes, the next leader of, like, the motion picture, like, administration, basically, was Jack Valenti. And he worked for Lyndon, for President Lyndon B. Johnson in the White House as a special assistant to the press before he became president of the MPAA in 1968. Jeez, okay. So, Valenti, <laughs> I love articles. It's, it's like, so flowery. Thanks to his experience and proximity to one of the greatest negotiators of our time... Our time. Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Valenti knew how to work with groups to reach a compromise. That is not how I would describe Lyndon B. Johnson. The great... I, I know nothing about <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson. I've, like, barely heard of Lyndon B. Johnson. I know more about Warren Harding. So, Jack Valenti, he was, he was a pretty cool guy. He took over from Hayes, and he kind of got rid of the Hayes Code. Like, 1968 was, like, the end of the Hayes Code, the production code as we knew it then, and he instituted a voluntary movie rating system because, as he put it, the Hayes Code had the odious smell of censorship because because that's what it was. It was because censorship. it was censorship. Yeah. It isn't... It's like, oh, this fish smells really fishy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like, is it really censorship if it's not the government doing it, basically? It's like the yes. government is the only one who has the power to censor. False. Technically. Well, that's that's probably how they thought about it. So they thought they were doing a real good thing when they came up with the Hayes Code. That's really interesting. So from 1968 to 1970, the ratings were G for general audience, M for mature audience, R for restricted, under 17 were admitted if accompanied, and X not admitted if under 17. Also, due to confusion over whether M-rated films were suitable for children, was renamed to GP for general audiences parental guidance suggested. Okay. So, yeah. If M is confusing because it's not distinguishable enough from G, why did you change it to GP? GP for general audiences, as if that's not vaguer. I'm stunned. (laughs) Because I'm like, my, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, and then in 1971, they added the content advisory, some material not generally suitable for (laughs) pre-teenagers. And then on February... Define (laughs) pre-teenager. And then in 1972, GP was revised to PG. (gasps) I know that one. So rather than being for, like, general audience, it was parental guidance. G is for widow babies. Yeah. And PG is for, like... Slightly. Uh, like less toddlers? Baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And PG-13 still doesn't exist yet. It goes PG to R. Imagine, like, what things would be R. Well, like, that was the if thing. That was, that was it. how it works for most 70s movies. Yeah. I'd watch, like, Caddyshack, and I'm like, oh, it's just PG. And no, it's not. There's, like, Weird. a fair amount of nudity and, like, yeah. a lot of profanity. <laughs> I hated that movie. That's your hot take? You hate Caddyshack? I really don't like Caddyshack. That's fair. I also just... Chevy Chase has never been funny. Ever. Yeah, I get what you mean. That's he's my funny in community because he's Because playing. he's playing a caricature of himself. Yeah. Anyway, as for the X rating... He's not a good guy. No. Yeah. Yeah. As for the X rating, it wasn't synonymous with pornography until the 70s. At first, it simply meant that no one <laughs> under <laughs> 17 would be admitted to the movie, but the MPAA never trademarked the X rating, and it was hijacked by the porn industry as a means to hype up their material. So they would add several X's to imply that their films oh. were more risque. Like, this isn't just X, this is triple X. That's why there's, like... Quad X babes. Yeah. Okay. And so there were several movies that were given X ratings when first released before it became strongly associated with pornography, including A Clockwork Orange, The Evil Dead, and Midnight Cowboy. So, I mean, those are all like hard R's, but. Yeah. Like, X is. But but X is porn now. Like, we think of X and it's oh, like, yeah. oh, the issue with this is like the, the sex, sex, not necessarily the violence. Yeah. So. There's even. I wish there was. A difference between R for, like, this is kind of scary. Like, Candyman R Mm. versus, like, I don't know, something that's just, like, human centipede R. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. There's, like, there's so many R's (laughs) that are just not really distinguished from each other. But But we have so many subdivisions in the general audience. Yeah, but because of the confusion with, like, the porn industry. For the children. For the children. For the children. For the children. I'm praying for the children. As long as you don't make fun of priests. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. That's clergy. so funny to me. Just like a protective How class. many jokes are there and have there always been about like a priest and a rabbi walking to a bar? You know, it's just you, you can't even say that in a Hays Code picture. <laughs> in 1990, the Pornography Association ultimately gave rise to the MPAA abandoning the X rating in favor of a new NC-17 rating. Okay. So NC-17, yeah. I don't think I've ever gone to a movie theater and seen... An NC-17 film. Well, I've never, like, watched one, but I don't think I've ever, ever seen, seen it one. be, like, released in theaters. Yeah. It's Because it's not profitable. It's not profitable. And I, I have, like, a little section on that, too. But... So that's just interesting. That's kind of... Oh, the history of ratings. But as for PG-13, Steven Spielberg was the person who helped make that rating. When Jaws was released in 1977, it was rated oh. PG, despite the violence being too much for young kids, but of course not enough that it needed an R rating. And then he directed Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and was the executive producer on Gremlins and both received a PG rating. Gremlins is PG? But he felt like he felt yeah. that the PG rating was too broad and suggested PG-14 rating. And then the MPAA, which I don't know if I... There's a lot of acronyms in this section. MPAA okay. is NP... Uh, Motion Picture... Association of America. Okay. That is what it was called until very recently, in 2019, they changed it from Motion Picture Association of America to just Motion Picture Association. I think they're just trying to be more, like, inclusive because they also oh. write films that aren't from America. But if but, they're centered in America... Yeah, but I thought, like, I saw a movie recently, and it was MPA, and I was like, is this, like, Mandela effect? Like, has it always been MPA? What is happening to me? And then I and then I looked it up, and yeah. And they were like, we have decided, mm-hmm. we would like more countries' money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're not going to hire anyone new. Yeah. But we are going to drop the second A. We're going to buy a new letterhead mm-hmm. and a new email domain. Everything, everything on, like... The the rating and, like, commercials and everything looks the exact same except the extra A. So Hysterical. it's not even really rebranding. It's just Hysterical. a new name. Mildly new name. But, yeah, after after the Gremlins if debacle. I, if I change my name to Megan, people are like, it's mildly new. It's mildly new. <laughs> so after the Gremlins debacle, the MPAA, yeah, instituted the PG-13 rating, and Red Dawn was the first film with that rating. Good. And the rest, as they say, is history. That oh gosh, <laughs> that would explain why Jaws. I remember being like, "This is PG." Yeah, cool. Um, and then something 
There's there's a lot there's of movies no... that shouldn't shouldn't be PG by today's standards, but it's because PG thirteen literally didn't exist. Yeah, it's like there's no like retroactive way to. I mean, no. I mean, there's not really a process for it. I like people don't bother. You just like look up common sense media and figure it out. I like common sense media and kids in mind. If I'm trying yeah. to decide like if something's appropriate for like the types of friends I'm showing it to. Yeah, I or don't even to check for triggers because there's times where I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like watching something with yeah. assault today. <laughs> yeah, Fair. yeah. Common sense media. I have like. I don't know. The organization, it feels kind of puritanical, but it's, like, a helpful resource. I'll also just do, like, IMDB, and it'll say what's, like, objection, like things that are potentially objectionable. And sometimes IMDB, like, goes crazy with it. And, yeah. like... Well, I'm okay with... But, I'm okay with databases. Yeah. As long as they're not actively censoring the media. And so, like, Common Sense Media has a thing where it's, like, this movie's bad, like, is... I wish it, yeah. It, it has, a, yeah, it has a little blurb about like what's wrong with the movie, and if it didn't have that, then I would be like, no issues at all. Yeah, but and, but instead they're like, and they also rate like kids in mind as something interesting. Yeah, which every single movie, even if it's like I looked up Human Centipede on there once just to see how bad it was. At the bottom, it was like things to talk to your kids about, and it mm-hmm. lists like you might want to have a conversation about like consent. The the last like. I don't know, maybe even the last, like, 75 years of the rating system, it's all it's been all about, like, parental guidance. It's all about the parents. It's about yeah. what parents decide to expose their children to. And that I have mixed feelings about because, like, sometimes parents, like, I don't know, it's just, you know. Sometimes parents Mixed feelings about kids. any population where there's so much diversity and, like, some parents are going to have issues that are probably not healthy for their children to... Well, and some parents let their kids with. watch anything, which is just as which bad. Which is just as bad. Exactly. Yeah. So I just do Almost find it like, interesting that it's not it's not really unbiased in that, like, this is rated R because these are the things that are in it. It's rated R because kids shouldn't watch it, whatever that means. I find it interesting that we expect movies to do the entire dialogue yeah. as opposed to... You watch a movie and then you complete the conversation. Mm-hmm. But there's so much. It's the well, Hayes Code. Art is like, meant to be thought provoking and yeah. like the Hayes Code and like a lot of they don't allow for thought. Yeah, they want it to be a cut and dry. Yeah, like moral, mm-hmm. a fable. Fable. Yeah, exactly. And then something that I just thought was interesting in 2007, the MPAA announced that depictions of cigarette smoking would be considered in a film's rating. Interesting. So yeah, Hayes Code. By today's standards, a lot of those movies would probably be PG-13 just because of how much every character smokes. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something. And there's also, there's a couple of, like, Studio Ghibli movies that are PG-13 just because characters smoke, which is funny. It's funny, too, because Studio Ghibli, you kind of assume they're, like, smoking the concept of magic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't look at them and I'm like, oh, that's tobacco. Like, oh, that's something that I should do now. No, it's like, oh, the the old witch has magic powers. Ooh. Period. End of thought. Yeah. I mean, I always thought smoking looked cool, but... Yeah, and it's also... (laughs) It is interesting that, like, smoking is always associated with... it's, it's, It's almost like a remnant of the Hayes Code, where it's like, if a character does something, like, it's needs to be clearly, like, morally reprehensible, where, like, in most movies now, it's the villains who smoke. Yeah. Cruella de Vil first yeah. comes to mind. Like, yeah. it's synonymous with evil. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's so many shots of big evil boss man puts out cigarette under heel, and we mm-hmm. get that shot of him putting it out and walking away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I've seen that shot, usually on gravel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the crunch of the heel on the gravel. It's, it's very good. nice. Yeah. So I'm always like, is it fully put out? Is there, what if there's dry shrubbery? I worry about that too. Yeah. It's not like we have any. What if there was an OCD rating? (laughs) It was like the number of intrusive thoughts this movie will give you. Well, everybody's different in that regard. (laughs) I just, I just created a blog where it's like the number of intrusive thoughts this movie gave me. When I was if a, it's over ten, it's like an F rating. When I was a kid, I couldn't watch. I got too freaked out by several Disney movies, 
because it was like implied danger. Okay, you know that SpongeBob episode with the pies? Maybe. And the pies are bombs. Maybe. And then Squidward keeps trying to eat the pie that's uh-huh. a bomb. That, I <laughs> the amount of anxiety through the roof. Well, that's a, like, that would not be G. It would probably be PG because yeah. it's like danger. That, yeah. Like, that's basically. Well, and it's <laughs> like a, it's a 15 minute episode that they do not let up the like. Tension. Tension. It's, oh, it's so The suspense. Stressful. That's so funny. The SpongeBob is interesting. I wonder. Well, that's why so many, there there are a lot of, like, you know, Christian moms from media or whatever who mm-hmm. hate SpongeBob. Why? Because. In particular. Because like, he's, he's dumb. There's no Well, I remember people, parents. like, saying that SpongeBob makes you stupider, which yeah. is silly. Well, that's like saying comedy makes you stupider. Yeah. Which I've seen people argue. Or it's like if you're only watching Spongebob and doing nothing else, you're probably not going to have a regular development but it's not really the Spongebob's fault. Well, and Spongebob references media in kind of a beautiful way a lot of the time. Yeah. You can tell the people who made it, at least classic Spongebob. Cared. Cared. Yeah, they're really passionate about it. Spongebob and also most of my film professors love Spongebob. Anyway. (laughs) Spongebob is art. You know how like when you're growing up, you're supposed to idolize your teachers and view them as infallible. Yes. And that can be especially intimidating when you get to college and, like, these professors genuinely do know, like, so much. Or the worst, okay, I ask a professor a question. They give me a short, succinct answer. Recommend I do a literature search. Mm-hmm. Go to Web of Science, type something in. They've written several papers on this subject. Mm. That's basically, like, the amount, it's probably only happened a handful of times, but when someone looks you in the eye and is like, I know you haven't researched this because I researched it. It's so, like, so powerful. It's so powerful. You'll do that someday. So according to Jack Valenti, <laughs> there are no special qualifications for board membership of the MPAA. So okay. there's, like, a board that rates movies. Uh-huh. But so there are no special qualifications except the members must have a shared parenthood experience and have the capacity to put themselves in the role of most American parents. This group of people with no special qualifications wields a great deal of power. Annually, the board assigns an R rating to over 60% of the films they review. 60%. I never realized how many movies are rated R. That's a lot. It's so many. That would make sense like, why there's children's a... movies make so much because there's so few that are G. Yeah. Or PG. And all, like, few that are PG-13. I've seen... Less PGs, I feel like, than I used to. Mm -hmm, For sure. It's like middle school is... I don't know, middle school humor. PG-13. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. Like... It is, like, cartoonish, I guess. Yeah, well, like, the age for PG is between, like, 8 and 13. And that's not a very wide range to appeal to. That's true. Yeah. So what are, like... Do we have, like, age range of this board? Do we have, like, ethnicities? Yes, I do-ish. So there are currently five moms and four dads. That's it? Yes, it's nine people. There are so many people who would be willing to do this. Yes. I don't know exactly how they select them. I guess there's an application. But raiders live in Los Angeles while they are on the board and have no ties to the entertainment industry. With the exception of the senior raiders and the chair, there are three senior raiders, raiders must have children between the ages of 5 and 15 when they begin the job, leave the post once their youngest child turns 21, and serve on the board for no longer than seven years. Isn't that crazy? Once your last kid turns 21, you are no longer qualified to say things like, to to speak for America's parents? I mean, I prefer that to... It's one person and they do it their whole life and get like yeah jaded, mm-hmm. but it's still weird. It is super weird. And do I'm, they get paid? I I believe so. Okay. Are they all like white? I don't think they're all white. They didn't okay. say the exact races, but ethnicities. Well, no, they didn't say the exact races, which usually means they don't. Well, they'd say they'd say like diverse and like a couple and like. Huh. I don't know. I didn't write down all of the bios, but, like, the bios of every person, they don't say any names, but they say, like, occupation and, like, background, basically. There was, like, a school principal and, like, okay. random stuff like that. So Some, just a, An engineer. Yeah, literally just people. I have no clue how they find them. I have no clue. <laughs> I wonder if you have to apply. Yeah. 
But like, but no ties to the entertainment. Exactly. Industry. Like, if you want to yeah. do it, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Which is it's just interesting. It's a very weird, very and you have to arbitrary way to do it. Yeah, people move to LA to For do it. it. Yeah. Wow. And well, I guess if you're getting new movies. There's probably a lot of danger and, you know, shipping. Yeah, and they watch hundreds of movies a year, like 500. They, they rate, like, 500. Um, I mean, they've got, like, probably. I don't know if I'd like that job. It depends. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like to think, oh, I love movies. I'd love watching Well, more. you have to watch multiple a day, and no. then you have to do, like, an extensive meeting after each one, and you talk about it, and... It's s- like the book club from hell. Yeah, so... You'd need to get, like, an elliptical or something. Yeah. Or else your your muscles would atrophy from watching all those movies. They have very vague guidelines, but they do say a couple on the website that I'll talk about. So, snippets of language that go beyond polite conversation are permitted in G-rated films, but no stronger words are present. Profanity may be present in PG-rated films, and use of one of the harsher, sexually derived words as an expletive will initially incur at least a PG-13 rating. So if it's used in a sexual context. Multiple occurrences huh. will usually incur an R rating, as will the usage of such an expletive in a sexual context. Nevertheless, the ratings board may still award a PG-13 rating passed by a two-thirds majority if they believe the language is justified by the context or the manner okay. in which the words are used. So it is possible for a PG-13 movie to have more than two, like, F-bombs. Okay. There are, yeah, there are several exceptional cases in which PG-13 rated films contain multiple occurrences of the F word. Adventures in Babysitting, where the word is used twice in the same scene. The Hip Hop Project, which has 17 uses. And Gunner Palace, a documentary of soldiers in the Second Gulf War, which has 42 uses of the word, with two use sexually. That's one of those, I bet you that's one of those where they were like, this is important. This is important enough. Why is Schindler's List not? PG-13? Yeah. I mean... It's possible that, like, the documentary of soldiers in the Gulf War, like, doesn't even have a lot of violence. And it's, like, it's additive. It adds up to something, like, greater. And if it's just swearing, I could potentially see where they're, like, oh, this is important enough to justify the swearing. Whereas Schindler's List has a lot of, like, graphic imagery. That's true. I've just, you know, in high school. Though it is very important. And oftentimes, like, they show in high school and things. And you'll have to get permission. But, like, I think it's treated as if it's like too important to be R-rated basically. So, this is they also have statistics that they seem really proud of on the website. 95% say they agree either strongly or somewhat that the ratings are helpful tools. Either strongly or somewhat. They lump those in. Which means together. strongly is probably like 60. I bet you anything. Strong yeah, strongly is 59% and somewhat is 36%. Okay, that was a so crazy good up. like estimation. Well, because I was like it's a majority, so that they feel better lumping them together. Yeah. But it's not everyone. Yeah. And then 95% also agree that rating descriptors are helpful tools. So 60% agree strongly, 35% somewhat. Who's the, like, one person? Wait, because this is 60% of the nine people, right? No, no. This is, sorry, this is just, like, oh, okay. this is a census. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, 60% of nine people? What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, no. So they hang their hat on these statistics by saying that parents think this is helpful. But, I mean, the sticky issue is... Where are they getting these statistics? Well, there's that, but also, like, there's nothing to compare it to. And also... Like, like, if there were nothing, yes, nothing would be less helpful than these. Well, and also, parents aren't the only ones who utilize... Rating systems. Yeah, that is also... So we'll get into a bunch of the controversies because... sorry. I have feelings about this. Yes. So an original member of this, like, board, Stephen Farber, said that much of the classification of movies was actually one with an eye to what disturbs adults. G-rated movies were not necessarily those most suitable for children. They were the ones the board considered least likely to offend adults. Yeah, well, because it's for parents, it's not for kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. And then... Four times as many films received an NC-17 rating for sex as they did for violence, according to the MPA's own website. And there is a bias against homosexual content compared to heterosexual content. Filmmaker Darren Stein insists that his tame comedy GBF, which features multiple same-sex kisses but no intercourse, strong language, violence, or nudity, had none of those things. It was rated R for being gay. That's what he says. 
which is kind of true, <laughs> as is, far as I does can tell. GBF stand for gay best friend? I believe so. Okay. Tame teen comedy. So, and then there's also another criticism. Well, there's also like Hunchback of Notre Dame is rated G. Yeah. It shouldn't be. It no. should be PG. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why it's G is because they put in so much child humor mm-hmm. that I can see an adult well, it's watching like it. Intended going, audience, how much does that play into it? Exactly. Death of the author, all that. Yeah. So then there's another criticism that major studios releases receive more lenient treatment than independent films. Oh, for sure. The independent film Saints and Soldiers, which contains no nudity and almost no sex and very little profanity and a minimum of violence, was said to have been rated R for a single clip where a main character is shot and killed. And they had to modify that scene to receive a PG-13 rating. There's a... And... There's there is a process where you can like resubmit and you can like or you can challenge basically a rating yeah. that the organization has given you, but it's it's really expensive. It takes a really long time, and there's no guarantees. Wow. So that's an issue. <laughs> is anything so if something's unrated, it means yeah. they didn't watch it. It means they didn't watch it because also you have to pay to get a rating. I was gonna say so unrated. And to me, has always meant explicit, but that's not true. No, it just means it's often independent films that just didn't want to spend half their budget. And, I mean, it's not that much money in the grant. Like, they are very cryptic about it on the website, and they say that it's, like, pr- basically proportional to, like, the budget of the film. But it's normally somewhere between... So, like, for a tiny, tiny film, it can be, like, $750. And for a really big film, it goes up to, like, $25,000. But most hang out, like, I don't know, a $20 million film is probably, like, $8,000 or something. So, but it's still expensive. Like, it's not nothing. And it's not worth it to a lot of people. But also, if you want to get in movie theaters, you practically, like, you have to get rated. Yeah. Just effectively, yeah. But many critics of this system, both conservative and liberal, would like to see the MPA ratings unveiled and the standards made public. Yeah. The MPA has consistently cited nationwide scientific polls, which show that parents find the readings useful, so then they have no, like... Desire to change. No desire, no objective to change. Because they're only serving one population. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're all... So everybody is, is, like, the Hollywood is kind of at the, the whim of, like kind of an antiquated rating system still. Like, there are all these controversies and all these problems, and and practically everybody in Hollywood has an issue with the rating system. Most people will say, like, I I understand why it exists, and it's good that we have a rating system. But maybe a different one. But the one we have is so flawed because it is determined entirely by what adults find objectionable. It is heavily skewed towards, like, sex being, like, worse Worse. than violence. And I read, like, a whole scientific study about this. Well, it's probably also, I mean, if you just have nine people... Yeah. Then you're going to have all of their backgrounds. And I'm I'm guessing they don't have diverse religions. Yeah. I'm guessing they probably aren't. They're probably not an actual representation of America. They're a representation of people who are able to move to L.A. for a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I did not realize it was only nine people, let alone nine parents. Nine also, why, wait, so is there five women and four men? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, moms are more important? Mm-hmm. That's also, that's also, like, a problem. Yeah. They can't have ten because then they'd tie. Mm-hmm. What about eleven? Why not have one single Why parent? not thirty-one? Why like, not just, and also, are all of these people married? Are, what about divorcees? Are they, like... You can't have a representative sample of as big of a population as America is with nine people. Yeah, no, it's extremely antiquated. I Sorry, thought it would be. I thought it would brain? be a board, but like like a big board. You know, my, my you know, like the Academy. Angry. I thought it would be like the Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is still which is full of largely qualified people who like determine they're like they're <laughs> how like, good a movie is, which is still flawed because movies are art. But like, at least it's a lot of people. Yeah. They're like, we use science to determine that people like our rating system, but we will not use science to determine, like, representation of a mass population. They say a lot of science-y buzzwords without actually doing yeah. the work, so it's it's definitely a problem. You said a scientific census, and I was like, 
that's <laughs> I'm I didn't say it. They did. Scientific? That was verbal. Like that was like yeah. No, I could tell you were quoted. A scientific census would be a census that has a hypothesis, I think. Yeah. And that doesn't mean anything. And so this like the study that was it basically just compared. It took like a huge sample of films of like, I think R-rated NC-17 films. And it just like determined the sexual versus violent content in each of them. And it just it, it is like four times more likely for a movie to be R for sex over violence or NC-17 especially. And they have like a couple of like but video ideas. Games are evil. Yeah, right. But they have a couple of ideas for, like, why this might be the case. And one of the common ideas is that, like, oh, like, violence is already, like, so prevalent in the world. Like, that we can't... we're desensitized. Yeah, we're desensitized to violence. That's one thing. But also just violence is so prevalent, kids are going to see it no matter what. So, like, the place cool. where we can make a stand is the sex. Stand for what? For morality. Because sex is avoidable, but violence isn't, question mark? And kissing is fine if you're opposite genders. Yes. That's so gross. So, yeah, it's just a... And, like, do I think that kids should be viewing a lot of, like... Gratuitous. Gratuitous sexual content? Absolutely not. Like, I don't want to see that. But I also don't think that... Like, there's also proof that, like, violence affects... Oh, yeah. A brain a lot more than, like, seeing sex, well, like, than sexual content and does. knowing a war is happening. Yeah. Especially in the privileged position here in America. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there is, or even playing games that are kind of cartoonishly violent. Yeah. Is very different from watching a movie and seeing someone, you know, murdered with a gun in an alleyway. Like, mm-hmm. it's a different type of trauma like yeah and i mean we live in still like a large in a society (laughs) yeah but america especially there is just like we've all been affected by like the puritanical roots just straight up like we're still i don't know i don't i don't want to seem like some like crazy liberal who thinks that we should just all be like exposed to everything all the time but it's just well it's also not having okay so you have g pg pg 13 r Four categories, mm-hmm. and three of those mean children might be able to watch them? Yeah. That's insane. At least, I feel like if you wanted it to be equitable, if you wanted this to actually be a rating system that could be used by all, yeah. and not just parents, yeah, you would have, like, P, or you would have G, PG, PG-13, and then you would have three versions of R. Mm-hmm. But instead... Or, like, yeah, R for violence, also, R for language, R for sexual content. To assume morality exists on a sliding scale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's just, what's the difference between, like, art and pornography? And it's like, you know what, when you see it, that that's the whole that's rating nothing. system of America. You just, oh, you'll wow. know. Wow. Or, specifically, these nine parents will know. And they will be able to decide for everybody. And we trust them. And we trust them. I would I would never question our nine parent leaders. It's just it's silly. I understand the need for a rating system. I think the one we have is very very flawed, and I think that there's evidence to suggest so. And they have a chokehold on the. Oh yeah, uh, a million percent. Huh? Like the Hayes Code doesn't. It's basically just been updated. You know, like yeah, there are more things that are being shown and made, but it's also just like what is seen by actual people is still determined by this, like, by by this Hollywood committee. And, yeah. like, I think most other countries have more faith in, like, children than America does. <laughs> yeah, no, that I... Like, children, it's possible for them to be discerning, I mean, at a certain age, right? Well, like, it's weird. All, like, there is a certain age, and it really depends on the child. I don't, like... You are more sensitive. I, I am more sensitive to certain things. Like, yeah. I really, I have such, like, I can't do violence even Which now. Which is fine. But, like, there are some, but I could also, like, I could see complicated, like, situations and, like, be fine. I don't know. It's really just, there's well, so much, weird. there's so much variability in a kid because, like, my little sister Jenny, I freak out every time she watches, like, a certain movie that I couldn't personally handle, but, like, she's just on a different wavelength. She like, just, yeah, well, it's just different. Even, and it's not like, oh, you're morally better. No, 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 no. no. Well, and even the difference between us, stuff that bothers me and stuff that bothers you are very different. Very different. And that's okay. That's why I like the whole. Like we talked about common sense media where it basically gives you the guidelines. Exactly what's in it. Or even even a rating system that was just like violence, 
nudity, profanity. Yeah. And then you and just have scores while, for each. And for a while, all we had was P, P, like was G, P, PG, PG-13, and R. And since it was, I think it was in the 90s or 2000s where they did add like a box that says like what it's, you yeah. know, PG-13 yeah. for violence or for like nudity, whatever well, it is. whatever it is. can be worse. Yeah, yeah. The TV rating system is a whole other thing. Yeah. There's a different association that deals with TV. And and it's more associated with the network, right? It's more associated with the network and also, like, what can be shown on, like, public access television is yeah. very... And that, I guess, must be, like, determined by the government. I didn't get super into TV, but... That's... Hey, maybe if people want it, we could do a TV episode. It is so weird to me that we coddle our children in this way but force kindergartners to do active shooter drills. Yeah. You can't tell me that dichotomy isn't messing with their Well, it's the same minds. people who are who are screaming that we're exposing children to too much who are like... We should have guns. Yeah. It's baffling. It is baffling. What we decide, what an adult decides a child. Because kids will tell you, too. Like, yeah. I don't want to subject a, chil- a child, but maybe we could have, like... I mean, they do focus groups for shows, for mm-hmm. movies and stuff. Yeah. And okay, so we talked a little bit about international stuff, but I did there are a couple of things that I find especially interesting. Okay. So there are specific factors that decide like a rating and mm-hmm. like that varies from country to country. So in countries such as the US, films with strong sexual content tend to be restricted to older viewers, though those same films are very often considered suitable for all ages in countries such as France and Germany. Yeah, well they're more open with sex. Yeah, just Straight Just up. culturally. And then yeah. films with violent content, which would be rated leniently in the U.S. and Australia, are often subject to high ratings and sometimes even censorships in countries such as Germany and Finland. And, like, the historical context in which films are set also, like, plays a big part. So, Well, in, Germany is serious. In Germany, yeah. films depicting explicit war violence in a real-war context, like especially the Second World War, are handled more leniently than the films with purely fictional settings because it's, like, it's so endemic to like their cultural history now it's that it's like it's important exactly well and they also were the whole world kind of was mad at Germany for so long that I feel like now they're like we are they're going to be it. so yeah. upfront with our history that it's going to make all of you uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah and then there are like th- I recommend looking at the Wikipedia page for like international rating system there's like on Wikipedia there's this whole graph that just it has like overlaps and things because sometimes the difference between like there's a PG-13 versus a PG-14 or 15 and like it's just crazy and interesting to see like what different countries will accept and something I find interesting is that even now like things that are set in like a fictional universe are like that that's just a consideration. Huh. If it's in a fantasy setting, violence might be more acceptable than if it were in a real world I've seen setting. Fantasy violence is the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And then even still, like the idea of certain things being associated with like an antagonist versus protagonist is it's it's another consideration that still exists. And I feel like morally gray characters are not accepted by the the parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's so Or it feels like, hasn't society moved past the need for such, like, stringent laws and ideals when it comes to film art? But And, and the answer might be no. Well, society doesn't seem to think so. No. <laughs> 95% of society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, like, more like 59% yeah. of society. Yeah. So, anyway, that's what I have for you. Thank you. I Normally we do an ending, but you gotta go to class. I do gotta go to class. But I hope you fun. liked it. I enjoyed talking to you. I hope you liked this. my diatribe about the history of film and ratings. I enjoyed uh, talking with you this beautiful Wednesday morning.